0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today is something that we've touched upon before. Uh, But what it is, is how do we actually trust in the faith, trust in Jesus, trust in the Eucharist, however that sentence should be said? Because when we look around... There's a definitely a mentality of person out there that says if I don't do this, it'll never get done. And there is, and some people see self fulfilling evidence that shows that if I'm not the one who does this, no one's ever going to do it, and the house will always be dirty and we'll never have dinner. You know, like you can see those kinds of examples. And what I want to dive into is how do we, regardless of our personality type or where we're at in life, actually learn to trust in Jesus and trust in the faith. Yeah, so it's a great
1: question. I mean, it's uh really foundational for everything else. Uh, your your example of if I don't do this, it won't get done, uh made me want to counterpoint that with uh, you know, it's like, oh, did you make the sunrise this morning? Um, you know, and that's like, oh well physics did that. Oh, Mr. Physics or Mrs. Physics. Which which uh physics was it that made the sunrise this morning? Oh, where where did that come from? Uh, where did those laws come from? Anyway, we can press into some, uh, you know, some of those kinds of examples. And of course you can go pretty far down a whole line of discussion with that. Uh, another one of those things that's like, well, where did that come from? You know, what, why did you have the idea that anything needs to get done? Like, where did that come from? Why do you have a sense that there's a right and a wrong? And, and that like, if you do certain things, that's right. And if you do other things, that's wrong. And like how did that end up in us from the earliest years of our of our life really um, and and across every culture and throughout history and but it's like and and, and if you try to force yourself to change that if you try to convince yourself that things you know are wrong are right you feel the violence that it does to yourself and you can't ever really convince yourself it never really agrees with you and how is it that we can have something in us at that level that like we can't make change and where does that come from so these are you know these are different kinds of arguments for the existence of god ultimately and so mm-hmm. if we can if we can say and again in in any of these things you know there are there are books and i mean people can debate for long long hours and can bring up all kinds of things and you know there's a lot of stuff there but. Um the 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 thing that we can then do if you if you can accept you know so a, a person who says okay well yeah i'll give you that i mean i didn't create the laws of the universe and like there is quite a bit there and we'd say that there's an intelligence behind that in some form it's kind of hard to believe that it's all just random i mean mm-hmm. uh even if you imagine a million billion trillion coin flips like how do you ever get you know the platypus or something it's just like a little bit crazy. Um, actually, I was uh, I was at a retreat last week, and we were there were I was in Minnesota, and there were woodpeckers. <laughs> the woodpeckers, like you know, the force at which it hurls its head at a tree, uh, and then like the whole structure, any other creature's face would be smashed into a million <laughs> pieces by that. And it's like, there's not an evolutionary development that you get from like a normal bird to a woodpecker. There's, there's no like in-between steps. It's, it's like anything in between, it would smash its face into a million pieces. There's, there are evolutionary leaps. Now, anyway, the, again, not to go down too far down, down this path, because then you have to start splitting all different kinds of hairs. But, but just to say, like, if we can step back and be in awe at what things are and like how everything is. And then we start to end and this inner voice, this sense of right and wrong, that there is a good and a bad, and that there could be a direction for, towards better. And if we can start to receive all of that, then, then we're starting to ask important and fundamental questions about like, okay, well, I didn't create myself and I didn't create all of this and I didn't create that sense of right and wrong in me. That was all given. And and it was given by someone, uh, maybe something, but let's say someone. And then if, if it's something or someone, what's that like? And then can we come to know that? And, and if we were to come to know that something, that someone, uh, what would that be like? How would it improve my life to come to know that? And... So th- those are the kinds of steps that we take. And then it's like, okay, well, that's fundamentally, we've walked our way into religion, uh, that how do I relate with this one who gives everything, who's over everything, whose who's very self, whose very law is uh, being and the way that the universe moves and what are the principles there and how does it how does it move? And so- you know, so anyway, these are this is really starting from kind of basic principle kinds of things that uh, if we start to ask these questions, we can start to wander in these directions and then we can start to say, well, you know, people have tried to respond to this in different ways, and then we could we could test that out in some way. Now, I think uh, what we find in Christianity in a, a particularly significant way is that in in Christ, God has revealed that he is love. And I think that's another one of those really basic things that if we said in our lives, what is the thing that has given the most value? Now, what we could also say, what is the thing that has caused the most pain? But that goes hand in hand with the value. Uh, And the fact that we go back to it a lot of times, even after it's caused so much pain to be let down, rejected, betrayed, neglected, that we have a sense, we have a desire we have a longing that there's something greater, something more beautiful. That there's something, there's a love, that's worth giving everything for. And so, that these are the things that we that we then find in Christianity above all, and and that's where it resonates with with also what uh, is is in us. And then so so then, what do we have to do? I mean, ultimately, we have to start trying it. You know, it's like well you can't really fully observe it from the outside. Now you can see like the lives of the saints. You can see that this creates good things. Now there are plenty of examples of bad things in Christianity as well. So Mm -hmm. uh, there, there is, there must be a way of living it that matters. There's a way to uh, fake it. And there's a way to actually make it. (laughs) There's a way to live it fully. And so, you know, we observe those kinds of things. Well, what's the best example? What's the best way to live it? And can I start doing that? And, and if you're already in it, you know, maybe a lot, probably a lot of our listeners are not avowed uh, you know, atheists or uh, merely agnostics on the sidelines, but probably people who are somewhat interested in Christianity and uh, pro- probably a lot of people who are fairly invested in it to begin with. But then mm-hmm. we start to look at the fruits. Well, what does it do to me to live it? And what does it do to me to not live it? And what does it do to me to listen to that voice inside of me that tells me what's good? And what does it do to me to deny or ignore that voice inside of me that tells me what's good or that uh, to, to do it even though it tells me that it's bad? What, what does it look like to live according to my conscience and, and to let that conscience be informed by the, the law of Christ, by the teaching of Christ? And and what f- sorts of fruits does that bring forth in my life? How does it change things to actually do that? To try it. Uh, so so those are those are a few of the kinds of things you know. And then I just went on this uh, this retreat called Grief to Grace, which was uh, remarkable. And one of the things, you know, the uh, people who have suffered a lot of pretty serious trauma, big T trauma, you might say. Uh, mm-hmm go on this retreat and, and we're on this particular retreat that I attended. And, and there's, there's something that's really destroyed in them because of that trauma. There's a little child who was damaged, silenced, um, blackened over, hidden away, uh, exiled, you know, it feels destroyed. And, and you see, as we, as we make our way through the Paschal mystery. So we, We see that Christ has united himself to every child. And he has in himself preserved the image of every child. And he has suffered in himself the suffering of every child. And he has risen from the dead and preserved and is able to redeem and represent that child and bring that child back to life. That's the power that Christianity has. So that's the power that I've seen with my own eyes. And for anybody else who enters into this and, you know, wants to see those things, you want to see the power of the gospel. There are living examples, a lot of them that are out there. Talk to anybody who's been at Grief to Grace as a simple starting point. Grief to Grace is a kind of an expansion of another shorter retreat written by the same woman, uh, Teresa Burke. She wrote a retreat called Rachel's Vineyard, which is specifically for post-abortive women whose lives have been destroyed when the baby in their womb was destroyed. And through the Rachel's Vineyard Retreat, which is all going through the Paschal Mystery, uniting it to Christ, dying with Him, rising with Him, they're able to come alive again when part of them was destroyed with that baby. And as much as we want to convince ourselves that that's not the case, or some people want to convince themselves that's not the case, The evidence is to the contrary. This is Teresa Burke actually developed Rachel's Vineyard after she was leading a group therapy session on eating disorders and discovered that nine out of the 10 women in the group had had abortions. And Mm. she thought, huh, maybe this is coming out in other ways. Then that's when she started to focus more directly on the trauma of abortion and what that does. So all of that is to say, we can also see evidence for the power of the gospel to heal and redeem. And so how do we know that it's true? How do we trust in it? Well, it does what it says it's going to do. So Christ unites himself to all suffering and even death itself and brings back to life. He brings things to life, even in this life. And then, of course, he brings us to life, ultimately, even after the end of this mortal life. And so we don't see that evidence in the same, quite the same way, although the uh, the apparitions of saints, there are glimpses and and uh, uh, images that we get of that, but but uh, but we can really see the redeeming power of the gospel already in this life. So anyway, few things to pay attention to.
0: Yes, and I, I think that there's a lot of greatness in, in everything you said, particularly in the you know why to believe in God part, the starting point of, of, of why and. I think you did a very good job of answering the, why should we trust Jesus? But I think that the harder part that, that I, that a lot of people have trouble with starting with the initial analogy of, I think I have things to do and I need to, to do them is how, you know, we have figured out as a species, we put a plant in the ground, it grows. We can use that the fruits of that for various things. We have figured out, you know, basic labor markets, we figured out we need to do things, and, and results will happen. But we haven't really figured out the how to truly trust trust in Jesus, trust in the faith. Even though we know that we can see examples of it, and that there can be people out there that this is the most frustrating thing. Like I know this will work if I could just figure out how to do it. You know, like you might see someone who's trying to like fix a car or something that they just wanted they just want to go but they have no idea how how to get it going and to me i think that that's a problem that 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 really needs to be delved into and that's what i'd like to do here for the second half of this episode if we could
1: yeah sure no that's great i love the uh i love the pra- the practical application the uh so everything that i just said comes into it the the why question or or uh, yeah i mean what what's the evidence i suppose for uh for belief and pressing mm-hmm. into the dimension of love um meaning and some uh, aspect of of experience so there are a lot of things that are uh that are interior there oh uh, now why do you want to put a plant in the ground and have it grow like why do you even care uh and and why are you trying to run a labor market and why are you trying to get a house built? Um, all of that has to do with relationships. So if we weren't doing it for someone, then we, I don't know, ultimately we wouldn't be doing it at all. Man, there's, there's, uh, I mean, there's, I could fi- I could make some exceptions to that that still would fit, but let me just run with that. Right. Uh, so so we're doing these things for, for relationships. And, and what do we want out of it at the end of the day? Do we really want a house out of it? No, we want a home that we can have a family in or or at least a, a shelter from which I can then do something, live my life and make a gift of myself. Most fundamentally, what we're doing as human beings is making a gift of ourselves. Now, one of the ways we do that is building things and growing things, feeding people and, and, and providing for people in different ways. So uh, what does God help with? Well, he helps with all of that. Now, he doesn't do things, he doesn't take away from us the joy of giving. He doesn't take away from us the joy of creating and the joy of building. In fact, he facilitates it. Like, where did we get these ideas from? And who created the seeds that we can put in the ground and, and then they actually grow? Like, who who developed these things and who led us to them? You know, so we, we can start to see with faith, we start to see that God is behind all of the things that that matter for the sake of relationships, for the sake of love. And then we see God's provision sometimes in extraordinary ways, precisely in these kinds of cases where it's like, my family is going to die if there isn't rain on these crops. Now, uh, you know when there are miracles. So we could get into a whole thing: why are there miracles sometimes and not other times? But anyway, let's speak in positive terms. When there are miracles, God is is providing for the sake of love, for relationships, for deeper intimacy, for greater trust. So that. That dimension that that application of the the relational communion that we're sharing as uh, as human beings he's providing for that, and then in other times well let's let's take a negative example. I put a plant in the ground and it doesn't grow, and then I have anxiety because I can't provide for my wife and my children, and what am I going to do and God has a way of breaking into that as well through understanding i mean there there have been uh, many stories, great, there are great stories of men who give everything they have and fail. And then it's being loved by the woman in the midst of that. <laughs> this is a terrible application, but it just comes to mind. It's not terrible. But anyway, mm-hmm. not a, uh, you know, the Top Gun maverick, right? You know, Tom Cruise, uh, whatever his character name is, you know, is like broken after he's been exiled from this program. And the woman who's there is able to receive him and believe in him. And then he finds what he needs in order to actually carry out the mission. Right. So this is also the way that God provides. But he provides for the sake of relationships, love, communion. He's not just sort of like a better factory or a more efficient assembly line or uh, you know, a magic eight ball or he's, he's not some magical provision machine he is ultimately all oriented towards love because he is love. And so how, do he, how does he bring us into communion with himself? By, by developing a communion of love between us. And then, you know, ultimately that also is from him and and to him. He's the source and summit. We're always bringing that into the Eucharist and receiving the strength from it. We're bringing it to the Lord and restra- receiving the strength from him. So so that's his, you know, we have to think in terms of the ultimate destination. The destination is heaven it's, it's not a neighborhood with a bunch of houses. Uh, you know, so he's moving us toward that ultimate destination uh, with, with all of these other things. So I think I still haven't answered your question. Uh, let me give it one more try. All right. So, so how do I do this? All of the stuff that I do, I do with him. So we do that in a, a kind of nominal way by beginning and ending things with a prayer. So it's at least a reminder. Now, it's not just a matter of tacking a thing on to the end. Sometimes we can get into that mentality, like I got to do the prayer. Well, you know, we should, we should keep leaning into what the prayer means, which is that I'm involving God. I'm inviting him. I'm asking for his help. I'm doing it with him, that we are doing it, that everything that I do, we do. And, and that's how we allow God to be a part of everything in our lives. Because again, everything ultimately is meant to be about what he's about, which is communion, love that wells up to eternal life. And so now at different times, depending on the work, and that's what I was trying to demonstrate, sometimes it's a cry of desperation. Sometimes it's an expression of thanksgiving. Sometimes it's just the peaceful interior that I need to carry out my daily work, but I do it with a different... Set, sense of awareness that I'm not alone in this. Sometimes it's easing my anxiety. Sometimes it's inspiring creativity. So when I do it with him, he is present in lots of different ways to me, and he works in me in lots of different ways. And so that's how I, I, I invite him into everything. I relate everything to him.
0: And that makes a whole lot of sense. So I think that's something great that we can end upon with this episode here and take into the following weeks that the point of prayer is to become closer to God and to, and to keep God in our minds, that that we're, we're doing this with him and not necessarily for him. And I think that that distinction is something that's really worth contemplating and thinking about, you know, father, a couple of weeks ago, you, you were talking about how you've been a presenter for a long time and how, Sometimes just stopping and asking questions, even though as the presenter, you know so much information, but stopping and asking the question of what is the difference of when I do something with God rather than for God? I think that 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 is a very big thought process there and a potential mentality shift that, that, that could help a lot of people out. So I invite people to do that in this week in between today and our next episode to consider that and to contemplate that and just to be clear not
1: that doing things for him is wrong or that there's anything wrong with that but it's i like the distinction to think through that and ask that question Uh, i I sometimes do things for him but also can we try to do things with him bring it into relationship with him not just do things (laughs) definitely not just do things with him for him in him (laughs) anyway (laughs) Uh, that's the that's the relationality